Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. But Jonah Supremacy has been a fantastic series because it has focused on the way we act when God tells us to do something that we don't want to do. Somebody say we. That is a really pivotal word if you're going to get anything out of this series because we don't want to say we when we listen to this story. We want to say he. We want to pin it all on him in the same way that we would like to pin it all on Adam or pin it all on Eve or pin it all on somewhere else. We live in a culture where we don't want to accept responsibility for our own faults. I'm not preaching this message for amens. If I was, I'd be preaching something that is more in line with what you read on Instagram every day. I'm just preaching the word of God, which basically tells us that we are at odds with the will of God most of the time in our life. We're uncomfortable with the message that God gives us. We are uncomfortable with being the kind of witness that God wants us to be to the people he wants us to witness to. And we not only are uncomfortable with it, I'm going to take it a step further. Sometimes we hate it. We hate what God has asked us to do. That is what this story is about. So as we jump in, I'm going to read this uh, text and then we'll get into it. Jonah chapter three says this. Okay, by the way, you say, well, what's happened? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, a place he absolutely hates, people that he absolutely hates. He's totally a racist. He is totally a bigot toward uh, the Assyrians. They are the worst of the worst. They are Israel's mortal enemy. He just thinks it is repulsive that God would tell him to go to preach to a bunch of sinners that do not deserve God's grace in his opinion. He doesn't want to be around them. He doesn't want to look at them. He doesn't want to talk to them. The last thing he wants to do is preach to them. So when God says, go preach to the great city Nineveh, which is like New York City, it's a massive, sophisticated, culturally advanced city that is huge. As a matter of fact, to walk around it, the the perimeter of the city would take three full days. That's how massive this city is. Jono says, I would rather die. So he literally goes in the opposite direction, disobeys God, by the way, the same way that you and I do on a regular basis when God tells us to do anything we don't like to do. We just go the other way. We don't think anything else of it. But in this story, we find out what happens when we disobey God. So Jonah goes the other way. He tries to run from God. He gets on this boat. He's going to go fishing. He's going to go party near Spain. Literally, that's what he's going to do. And all of a sudden, God sends a wind. I want you to remember that. God sends a wind and the sea stirs up. And this ship that he's on almost sinks. The people that are on the ship with him, he's like, they're like, somebody on this ship is cursed. Like, they have a problem. We need to dig into this. Who is it? They throw some dice, whatever they do to figure out who it is. It lands on Jonah. They go, bro, you're sleeping down the bottom of the boat while the boat is about to sink. What is your problem? Who are you? Jonah's like, I serve the God that created everything. And yeah, it's me. It's my fault. I I caused all this. They're like, what do you need to do? He goes, throw me over. He basically says, kill me because I would rather die than go preach to these people. Okay, so that's, this is intense, right? He says, I'd rather die than go preach to these people. So then he, they, he throws himself over suicidally, by the way, wanting to die. And the Bible says that God sends a whale. 
And, and this whale swallows Jonah. Last week, we talked about Jonah in the belly of the whale, crying out, thinking he's in hell. He thinks he's in the afterlife. He's not like, oh, God is so cute the way he's transporting me over to Nineveh by, by way of whale. This is amazing. He's so creative, isn't he? No, no, he thinks he's dead. He thinks he's dead. So he's in the belly of the whale. He's like hating it. He's like, oh, I'm dead. I, I didn't do what you wanted me to do. Your way is the best. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He finally says salvation belongs to the Lord. And the moment he says that, the whale spits him up on dry land. That is where we are picking up the story today. He, he, by the way, in the belly of the whale, all the acids in the, in the, be, in the uh, belly of the whale have corroded his skin. He looks can you imagine how this guy smelled? I mean, he, he, there's no bath and body works back then either. I mean, this is a, a long time to get back to normal. This guy is, is looking weird. He's feeling weird. And this is, he's on land. And, and now God speaks to him again. A second time, Jonah 3.1, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So now he's saying, I'm going to tell you what to say. And you just say it. Whatever it is, you say it. Listen to this. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. I mentioned that. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people, animals, herds, or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people, animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Maybe that God will relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I'm going to teach you the final week of the Jonah supremacy, and I feel like God is going to move here today. Father, bless this message. Bless these people that are listening. Bless the people online. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness in loving us through the toughest things in our lives. Uh, people are facing difficulties here. I pray for them today, God. I pray for people that are facing challenges, discouragement, sickness, Lord, negative reports, Lord, things that have come their way that have hurt them, Lord, people that are dealing with the fallout of disobedience in their life. I thank you that you are a merciful God and you give us an opportunity to get our heart right. Lord, do that today. Wrap, up, wrap your arms of grace around us today, Lord, and, and let us feel your peace and your anointing in our lives. Let this word hit home today. Uh, and make a difference so that we walk out of here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I just did the recap, so I'm just gonna kind of go into a little detail on what we're reading here that's new today. Uh, when it says that the word came to Jonah a second time, anybody ever been given a second chance? Raise your hand if you've ever been given a second chance. Isn't that a great feeling to finally get a second chance? What are you gonna do with your second chance? That's really an important question. When you get a second chance, there's a couple of different ways that you can act. You can either truly let it make you grateful for what you have been given, and you can let it change your attitude, change your behaviors, or sometimes when you get a second chance, what do you do? You take it for granted. 
Sometimes when you get a second chance, you think to yourself, ah, I'm lucky. You know, I'll just kind of go back to doing the way that I did before. And you don't really take it very seriously. Jonah does this. Instead of letting this whole experience change him from the inside out and mold him into the exact, you know, reflection of God's heart toward other people, he easily gets back into the old Jonah again. It says, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. He was like, yeah, uh, because its wickedness has come up before me. He's like, I can, I'm down with that. I can, I can preach against the wickedness. And it said that he you know, ran away you know, the, the first time. And then he fi- finally, we come back to this whole moment here where it says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. That's what it says in chapter three. And it says this time he obeyed the word of the Lord. Somebody say amen. Obedience is really important to God. How far do you want to fall before you obey God? Just obey God. Somebody say, just obey. obey. Even if you got a bad attitude like Jonah, just obey. It's a lot of you. You'll be a lot less stinky if you just obey. You'll be a lot less weird looking if you just obey. You know, skin is all dissolved up from the belly. Just obey. And now it says, he goes through this large city. What does he decide that he's going to preach? Well, I guess he's going to say what God told him to say. And what is God saying? Why is God sending Jonah? Now, historically, when we look back at the Assyrians and we look at Nineveh, we do not see the kind of revival that produced a deep relationship with this city or, or, or these, this people group on a covenantal level, we don't see them changing their heart. We don't see them circumcising their kids, converting to the faith. We don't see a lot of things like that. So God is sending Nineveh a warning about their violent uh, behaviors toward one another and toward other people. And he's basically saying, and in a sense, this is some level of social reform where God is using Jonah to send a message of possible salvation spiritually, but also to basically say, hey, look, you're not going to be able to continue living like this and doing these particular things. If you don't quit doing these things, I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. Isn't it interesting that God treats nations that way and God treats uh, groups of people that way? It's like, hey, I will put up with so much, but if you don't check yourself, you're going to wreck yourself. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't. I could. I just I, I just I just too many, too many 90s, you know, rap songs. Uh, but whatever. If you don't check yourself, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, culturally, as a country, as a nation, God look, looks at wickedness. And it's kind of like if you could imagine being able to see a building and that is on fire and it crumbling. Well, imagine if you couldn't see the fire, but you could see all the results of it. That's what the wrath of God is like. We can't see the wrath of God in many situations when it comes to countries and nations and the way people lives fall, the way people's lives fall apart when they don't listen to God. But we see the results of what happens when people refuse to obey God. So Jonah is preaching this message and he says, give the message I give you. And it says that he obeyed and he went to Nineveh. And what does he say? <clears throat> Here's the message. <laughs> Here is the revival message that Jonah preach, preaches. 
You ready for it? Because I, 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 you know, I got my outline. I, do, I did all this stuff, you know, try to create my, my message. I've got this way that I do it. Okay, but this is the message that Jonah preached. And, and by the way, everyone in this room will probably not be saved today when I, when I give the, the, the invitation. For, I hope everyone is. But statistically, I'm just saying that in a general sense, everyone that needs to get saved doesn't get saved at any given moment. I pray that happens in Jesus' name. But Jonah, this message caused every single person in the entire city to get saved. And I don't think that he was using my outline. Okay, as a matter of fact, he is a, he is a mean, judgmental person that hates the very people he's preaching to. Imagine if I hated you right now and I'm preaching to you. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine that. It's crazy, but that's exactly what he's doing. Here is the message. Are you ready for the powerful message? Here's the message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he doesn't say, and if everyone, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today, he doesn't do anything like that. He just says this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, by the way, that word overthrown is the Hebrew word hafat. And that is the word that God used when talking to Abraham to say, I am going to hafat Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness in Sodom, by the way, this is a city that was totally leveled. Everyone dead, everyone died. God was so sick of the behaviors of that city. I was talking about that just a moment ago, that at some point, you know, God will put up with certain things according to his will, and then at some point, he just will not allow that any longer. And so this is the message. This is the, the word that he is using to preach, and it strikes a chord with the Ninevites. It strikes a chord with the Assyrians because they know what that word means. That word might not have meant, you know, anything to people who didn't have to use it. But I mean, imagine, for instance, if you were to walk into an airport in 1985, and you were to say to the people there that were you know, in the security gate, by the way, a 9-11 is about to happen today. If you said that back then, someone would be like, yeah, buddy, in about six hours and 10 minutes, it's going to be 9-11. I mean, they would have no idea what you were talking about. That wouldn't be ominous. That wouldn't be scary or anything. But if you said that now, right, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be really different now? It would have many different connotations now. And in the same way, that same ominous connotation is, is wrapped up in this powerful word, hafat, meaning this city in 40 days is going to be leveled. By the way, let's not forget, Jonah has, he's got some gravitas. He's got a little swag. He's, got, he's a sophisticated, I mean, it doesn't matter how disobedient he is. How do we know this? On the boat, the people that listened to him, when he was talking about his God, they all got saved. They all got converted. So we know that he's a prophet of God. We know that he's anointed. We know he's got some ability to connect with people. And for whatever reason, as this weird looking smelly dude is walking through this city saying 40 days and, and, and this whole entire city is going to be leveled, people start repenting, actually repenting of sin. It's insane. Uh, so he declares to them, you're going to be leveled. And here's the crazy part. Verse five, the Ninevites believed God. 
a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Can you imagine him walking through this city after all that he's been through? He hates these people. Now, by the way, internalize this to your obedience or disobedience toward God. God told you to do something this week. Did you do it? God told you to do something yesterday. Did you do it? He told you to do something. You say, well, what did he tell me? Everything he's ever told you to do that you didn't do. And all the things that he regularly tells you to do that you either do or don't do. He's constantly telling you something by the voice of the Holy Spirit that is inside you. You're either obeying that thing or disobeying it or disregarding it. So Jonah, in all of his disobedience, has come to this point where he's walking around going, 40 days. I mean, he's got a, a three days walk around the city. 40 days and Nineveh will perish. And people go, oh, Father, forgive me. He's like, really? Really, this is work? Are you serious? They're, they're repenting? 40 days and Nineveh, oh, listen to the man of God. He's preaching. Oh, my God, 40 days and Nineveh will perish. He says that we're going to perish in 40 days. He's a man of God. Father, help us. Help us. The one true God. We're calling on the name of the Lord. And it's like he just cannot even fathom that this is really happening. As a matter of fact, they all put on sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning, of, of, of sadness against sin. God is using an unwilling prophet. He's unwilling. He's doing it, but his heart is not willing. And yet these are the results that we're seeing through an unwilling prophet. I think this next part is just wild. But it says that, by the way, when we preach, people are not saved because we are dynamic. When we preach, people are saved because the gospel is dynamic. Just preach the dynamic gospel. Don't preach the gospel dynamically. Preach the dynamic gospel. Just be obedient. Don't rely on your personality. Don't rely on all your tricks. Don't rely on your psychology and all that. Just do what God said to do. Just simply do what God said to do. And you leave. By the way, if he's going to move, whatever happens is going to be because of him anyways. You are just an instrument. Somebody say, I'm an instrument. You are an instrument that the conductor has written this, the, you know, has written this piece. And now he's conducting the symphony. And every, every instrument in that symphony is unique. And it has a certain purpose. And there are different uh, articulations for each specific instrument, every instrument has got multiple articulations that you have to know how and when to use them and all use them in concert together to create certain sounds. See, and if you are truly an instrument and God is expecting a particular articulation out of you, there's a reason why he's asking you that particular thing. And when you listen to that particular articulation and you isolate it, I have this, you know, orchestral library that I score with. And some of those, those uh, Latin phrases that are on there, I'll play a, a tuba or a particular instrument. I'll hear it, that particular thing and it's going. And it's like by itself, that sounds really strange. But when you stack it together with a whole other group of those low brass instruments and they're, it creates this, this brooding kind of thing that together, this is this vibration and this hum. And, and now you can build other instruments around it. It's powerful, but isolated. Anyone here today? Yeah. Isolated and by itself, we don't understand it. 
So God is telling Jonah to do this very specific thing. And your obedience, your regular obedience to God is so important. Uh, but look what, look what happens. This is crazy. It says, <laughs> Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And then he proclaimed this by the decree of the king and his noble. Do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. They go on a complete food and water fast. The dogs are like, they can't even believe it. They're like, what did I do? You know, it's like, it's like, it's unbelievable. None of their animals can eat. There, there, there's no food, no water for any of the animals. Now, let me ask you this question. He says, let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. So you're covering the, the dog with sackcloth. So, so let me ask you a quick question. When you see a doggy walking down the sidewalk with a Christmas sweater on, do you say, oh, oh my God, this little doggy loves Christmas. Is that what you say? Who loves Christmas? Oh, the owner of the doggy loves Christmas. Okay, so what's happening with the animal? I mean, so if you're one of these people like, well, what did the animals do? This is animal cruelty. No, no, no. This, this, this is... <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> this is more of, of the hearts of the people are, are basically saying... I think what it's trying to show is this is not just something that the king or these people are saying. They feel it. They're fasting. If you're, if you're fasting, you feel it. I'm going to tell you this right now. When people talk about with me, I mean, fasting is hard. It's hard when people suggest fasts to me. I'm like, amen, how long? <laughs> That's the first thing that comes, <laughs> that comes by like, are we doing lunch? Like, or <laughs> breakfast or what? It's, like, it's, it's hard, but I mean, fasting produces power, but it takes sacrifice. So I'm, I'm just telling you, when a, when a bunch of heathens literally declare a citywide fast, Whatever God is doing is bigger than the prophet he's doing it through. And I got news for you that God wants to do something bigger than the people he's doing it through. Because it's about him. We are the instruments. Amen. So it says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and turn from their violence. I love that he says this because this is why God sent Jonah to Nineveh to create this heart repentance and to for some social reform. God causes social reform to take place and the king gets it. He goes, I get the message. Now, whether they ended up, you know, becoming Jewish or not, that's not the point. The point is God's message and God's plan in tweaking and adjusting the trajectory of this city works. They get the message and they say, let's quit being so mean to each other. Let's quit being so violent. What does he say? He says, who knows? God may relent. And with compassion, turn from his anger so that we don't perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. God wanted to destroy this city because of their wickedness. He didn't want to, but because of their wickedness, he was going to. 
And then the whole city got saved. Imagine preaching in a stadium and every single person gets saved. That's exactly what happens. And that's what God did with obedience and displeasure. Jonah had obedience, but he had displeasure. What could God do with our obedience and our passion? What could God do with our obedience and our mercy and our love and our grace and our kindness, our boldness to proclaim the truth, but mix that with the mercy and grace that God has shown us. Mercy shown toward us should always become mercy shown through us. And Jonah missed that opportunity. Can you imagine? What if he would have gone through those, the city streets and said, 40 days and Nineveh will perish. Take it from me. I tried to go against God and he gave me a second chance, but I'm here to tell you, he loves me and he loves you. And there's always a chance with God. Maybe the story would have been different. Maybe this nation would have turned to God spiritually in, in, in addition to just obeying what he told them to do socially. Maybe their lives would have been changed forever, but that's, we'll never know because that's not what he did. And we land here at the end, Jonah chapter four. Really weird. I'm going to read it. It says, after, all the, after this revival happens, please make sure that you're, reading, you're, you're listening to this, remembering this is not he, it's what? Come on, it's not he, it's what? Okay, actually, let's change it. Say me this time. It's not about he, it's not about we, it's about what? It's about me. Okay, here we go. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What seemed very wrong? A move of God. What seemed very wrong? Exactly what God wanted to do. What seemed wrong? The will of God. What seemed wrong? God doing something sovereign that he understands and we do not. So not only did it seem wrong, but it said that he became angry and he prayed to the Lord, actually correcting God. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is like insulting someone by complimenting them. I knew you were gorgeous. I knew you were beautiful. I knew you were smart. That's why I married you. And I love you for that, baby. He's, he's like insulting God by calling out the greatest things about him. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were mercy. I knew you were loving. I knew if I preached to those people, they would get saved. I mean, would a, would a painter ever complain if someone took their painting and hung it in, in the Louvre? No. Would a, would a recording artist ever be mad if their song went number one and was nominated or given a Grammy for song of the year? No. What is Jonah? He's a preacher. He has just preached a message and God used him to cause the whole city to get converted. Yet he is angry. Why? Because he's a racist. And so are we against many things in our life. We're bigots against things. We don't want to dig into that too much. And it's not a very comfortable thing for people to admit. There are things that we don't like about other people, about sometimes people groups, about procedures, about policies, about businesses, about places, about attitudes that people have. So what do we do? We, we form a little mini hate 
things against, you know, it's, 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 that's my pet peeve. Well, no, that's actually something that you hate that you've now applied to every person that ever does it. So I'm just trying to dig in to why this is about me and not he, why this is about we and not he. It's because he's angry with God. And he prayed to the Lord. He says, oh, you did all these things. You're a loving God. <laughs> who, 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 this is the, I can't even say this. It's so fun. Who relents from sending calamity? <laughs> that means like you don't do it. It's like you, you want to do it, but you don't. And now, now listen what he says. And let's put it in modern language. Now, Lord, take away with my, my life. Kill me. He's basically saying, kill me. For it's better for me to die than to live. What? He says, I want to be dead right now because I can't live with the fact that you saved people I hate. And then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And he goes, really, is it right for you to be angry? And it says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. Sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. It's like he goes and builds like a fort. And what is he doing? He wants a view of the city because he is praying. What do you think he's praying happens? He's praying that he's wrong about God and that the city actually does get leveled. He wants the kind of view where you can see the whole thing happen. So he backs up. He builds himself a little fort. Terrible attitude. Horrible spirit. And, you know, I don't know if you had like popcorn back then, but I'm sure he had some popcorn. He's, he's sitting there and trying to check out the show. Here's the weird part. You guys ready for the weird part? Then the Lord God provided. It's already said that in the book of Jonah that God provided a whale. Now it says God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort because his spirit was so troubled. And he's watching, he's wanting to see the city destroyed and God gives him this shade, okay? And it says that he was very happy about the plant. Isn't it funny that like sometimes like when you're in like the worst moments of your life, the smallest thing can make you so happy, right? It's like, please God, let there be another Oreo. Oh, there's three, yes. It's like, you're, you feel so good. It's like the tiniest little thing. That's why some people like get so frustrated over one little thing that happens. It's just like, sometimes you need a little comfort. Now God gives him a little comfort because he's trying to teach him another lesson. And it says, Jonah, he was very happy about the plan. It says that, not just happy, but very happy. It says, but at dawn the next day, God provided, somebody say provided, a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. So you got Jonah who wants to see the city die. You got, he's frustrated about the heat. So God sends some shade. Okay, and Jonah's very happy about the shade. But then God provides a worm to eat the plant that's providing the shade. Do you think Jonah's gonna use a good attitude about this, by the way? It says, and the plant withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching wind. That's called a sriracha. It's like a desert, sounds like sriracha, like a desert wind. And it's like the hottest wind that you could ever imagine. It is the worst. So God provides the worm to take away the shade. Then he provides, that's the second time in the book of Jonah that he has kind of come against Jonah with a wind, by the way. 
So he's in judgment, is, is trying to teach him a lesson. And it says that the sun blazed on his head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he says again, isn't it better for me to die than live? And God says to Jonah again, he's already asking this question. Is it right for you to be angry about Nineveh? Now he asks you, him another question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now push in here for a second. God asked him, is it right for you to be angry about me moving the way that I wanted to move? Because what he was trying to say in that first question is, is Jonah should have answered and said, no, it's not. Because you're the one who caused it. You're the one who did it. I did, obviously was in rebellion. I, I wasn't using a good attitude. So now God has to teach Jonah a lesson a different way. So he uses this little moment of comfort. And now he says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Because his question basically was like, did you grow the plant? Did you create that or did I? Because it seems like to me that I did. And, and listen to what he says. By the way, this is dark. He says, yes, it is. What is he doing? He's basically saying, I'm smarter than you. Please do not let this happen, church. Please, those of you that are watching online, do not go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the one that created the stars. Do not go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the one that created your brain. <laughs> he understands things from the inside out. His, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And he says, it is right for me to be angry. I'm so angry. And he says, I wish I were dead. It's like the fourth time in this book that he's suicidal and just begging to die. And then God in his compassion said, you've been concerned about this plant. You didn't make it grow. It came overnight. It died overnight. And then he said, in the same way, shouldn't I be concerned for that city in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. What he's trying to tell Jonah is, dude, you have no compassion. These people know nothing. They are lost. By the way, what I just read you right there. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there were 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? That is the literal last sentence in the book of Jonah. There is no traditional ending. It's I bet when people are putting this together like, hey, hey, Tommy, did you lose a page or is there something extra there? Because I got nothing here. This kind of just ends like there's no like like that's sort of. I think that's why we know it's God, because it ends so strangely. I think when these sort of stories end with this little dot, 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 the, the, the prodigal son story it ends in a very similar way. It just kind of ends with a cliffhanger. Like we don't know what happened. Why? Because I believe we determine what that looks like in our own personal life. I believe you have an opportunity and I have an opportunity to decide if we're going to be like Jonah or not. Are we going to let our heart become bitter toward the decisions that God makes? Jonah was the first evangelist to Gentiles and God was showing and giving a foreshadowing that this message is for everyone. It's a story that could have been about a compassionate prophet, but it was simply just about a compassionate God and how he was willing to work with a guy who wasn't perfect. That gives me some hope because I know that I'm not. 
That should give us some encouragement if we made some bad decisions, but what does it teach us? I think it teaches us a few things. I think number one, it's a sin to value our opinion more than God's. Somebody say amen here today. Because Jonah said, I mean, the translation of when it said that it, Jonah viewed it evil. There's one translation that says it literally means it was evil to Jonah with great evil. He was accusing God of evil. That's actually what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is in the New Testament. They were saying that Jesus was casting out devils by the devil. So they, he was, the, that blasphemy was attributing the goodness of God and, say, and attributing that to evil powers. So Jonah is just in scary territory here. By the way, God is not auditioning for your approval. But I suggest we start auditioning for his. I don't remember the last time where he asked me to fill out a questionnaire about the things he was telling me. On a scale of one to 10, Jeff, how do you feel about this message? How do you feel about this thing I put in front of you? Feeling good? Or? It just doesn't work that way. I said it earlier, mercy shown toward us should make us merciful toward others. Matthew 6, 14 tells us that clearly. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, you will be forgiven. But if you don't, you won't be forgiven by God. And I, I think the biggest point in this whole story, and I just hope that you get this, I hope it connects with you. We don't like to hear what I'm about to say. We don't wanna think like this. I think the biggest message in the whole story is that God does what he wants to do. <laughs> he literally does whatever he wants to do for, the, for reasons that don't have to be justified to us. He does things how he moves. That's why sometimes you might have the meanest boss in the world. You might have a boss that God has put over you that, that misrepresents things, that lies, that does anything to get, that's constantly trying to put people down. You know what? That's why we are supposed to respect the people that God, it has nothing to do with whether that person deserves to be there or not. Sometimes God puts us in those situations to see how we will respond toward him when we're under someone that's not treating us right. That's why we're supposed to honor authority. David was in a cave and Saul was coming after him to literally murder him. He snuck up behind Saul because he wanted Saul to know, I'm cunning enough, I'm smart enough that I could have killed you if I wanted to. And he cut off a little piece of his robe. And do you know that he literally repented of that and to send a message to Saul like, dude, I could have had you if I wanted you. And literally, because David understood so much that God's way is so much higher than mine. Later on, he said, who am I to touch God's anointed? God has put that man as flawed as he may be from my eyes. God chose to put his hand on that man. And if God calls a city a great city, who am I to say that it's not great? I'm going to go there and preach what he has told me to preach regardless of what I think about that city. It's time for us to start respecting the way God does things, even when we don't understand and to simply do what he has called us to do. We've got a generation right now that needs to hear the hope of the gospel. It needs to hear that if that generation keeps following after its own way, it will fail and it will fall and judgment will come against it. But there is hope. It also needs to hear about the mercy and the grace and the redemption and the hope and the love of Jesus. Who will be that mouthpiece? 
Who will be that prophet that will be obedient to go out and to speak the truth to a dying generation? I'm sorry, I don't need to go fishing when God is sending me on a mission. I need to go finish my mission. There's broken people everywhere. It also teaches us that God's way is the best way. His will is perfect. And His will is layered and, and multifaceted. You have the decretive will of God where He decrees something and it just simply happens. You have the preceptive will of God, which means that He's already written down His precepts in the Bible and the principles of His will are these standards that we understand conceptually of the Bible, topically, thing by thing. We understand His precepts. Then you have the dispositional will of God, which means it's his disposition. It's his attitude toward things, things that please him, that make him happy. By the way, the, the decretive will of God is going to happen no matter what. He will do what he wants to do. That's what it is. The preceptive will of God is not up for negotiation. Those are the standards of the Bible that we read and we know. But the dispositional will of God your disposition or your attitude. That's why the Bible says, be not conformed to the world, but be tran transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That has to do with his disposition. There are some things he's like, yeah, that's good. Sometimes he goes, that's acceptable. And somebody goes, perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for. Who wants to be in the perfect will of God for everything in your life? So it teaches us that God's ways are so important. I don't want him just to go, oh, that's acceptable, Jeff. I want him to go, that's perfect. It's exactly what I was looking for for you. I'm so proud of you. I want his disposition to be bright towards me. Can someone say amen today? The will of God. How do I know his will? I know that. I mean, I'm sorry to make fun of the way that you say it, but I, I, we, I've said it a million times. Like, How do I know his will? The ways of the will of God is always found in the ways of God. So if you want to know the will of God and you're confused about the will of God, consume yourself with the ways of God. All of a sudden, after your obedience on a day-to-day -day basis, you're going to turn around and go, hey, I'm in God's perfect will. You can never get out of the will of God when you remain in the ways of God. Amen. Anybody want to hear a funny story real quick? I'm over my time, but you want to hear a funny story about the will of God, the ways of God. When I was, um, so, so by the way, the will of God is in the ways of God. Somebody say the will of God is in the ways of God. Why am I saying that? Jonah, if he just would have done what God said, stayed in the ways, he would have remained in the will. But he got out of the will because he got out of the ways. Okay, so I, uh, this is 30 one years ago, I had a girlfriend before I had the privilege of meeting this wonderful woman that's right here, uh, who, who was from Kentucky. And she was like down here on a, a Disney program or something. And she, uh, she worked at Disney and we were having dinner one night and she was telling me that she had heard something about uh, the company about Disney. And she goes, hey, I heard that uh, they are building a Disney World in Paris. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She said, I heard they're building a Disney world in France. That's what it is. She said in France. I said, Oh, I actually read that. 
I said, that's really cool. Because I mean, I thought that was amazing that you know, different country, they're building it in, in France. I said, yeah, I heard they're building it in Paris. She goes, no, I heard they're building it in France. And I go, yeah, yeah, no, no I know, I, I understand. I said, but specifically, what, what I'm saying is I read that specifically they're building it in Paris. And she goes, Jeff Smith, I'm not gonna let you make me feel stupid. I know what I heard. They are building it in France. <laughs> and what I wanted to say is that Paris is in France. But you know what I said? I said, okay. <laughs> and in the same way, for those of you that are looking for the will of God, where is the will of God located? In the ways of God. Plant yourself in the ways of God and you will never get out of the will of God. Amen. 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 Could you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Father, we thank you so much for your power, your mercy, your goodness, your compassion toward us. Even when our heart is wayward, you make room for us. Today, I pray for every person in this room that is lost. It's been out of your ways, out of your will. There are people in this room right now that are lost. People that are watching online that are lost. And I'm speaking to you today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're lost today, because you're not in the will or the ways of God. God has compassion and mercy toward you, and he loves you. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity, and I'm gonna count to three, and when I do, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand in this room, ask you to lift your hand, those of you that are watching online or type in that chat, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. If you were lost, only you can answer that question. But God loves you, and through the person of the Holy Spirit, he's challenging your heart with faith, giving you the gift of faith right now. If that's you on three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand and say, I need to be found by the love of God today. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person here has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit for this moment. Three, hands lifted all over the building if that's you. Hands going up all over this room, all over this room. Every single section, I see a hand. Every section, praise God. I believe people are lifting their hands online as well. Could you pray this prayer out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life walking into a brand new life with you Lord Jesus I will never be the same thank you for being patient with my heart disobedient so many times but you love me still help me to walk in your ways so that I will constantly remain in your will and I pray that you use me not just a life of obedience but submission and passion toward what is important to you. Transform my way of thinking and living through the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a great praise today? Come on, give him a good shout. He's worthy. Many people got saved today. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.